listening to Chill Spot Radio. Mental health, especially amongst people of color, has long been stigmatized, inadvertently keeping our people from accessing and reaching mental well-being. This podcast aims to transform stigma into strength. Your hosts work in the mental health field, bearing in their experience within the mental health profession. We thank you for your time in this brave space. Welcome to the Chill Spot Radio. Uh, this is the 13th episode. This uh, is your host, Jared Morgan, and my co-host, Dr. Lipscomb. Yes, yes. Welcome, welcome. 13. And today's guest is uh, Sarah DeRoy, who is actually my co-worker. Uh, she's a licensed clinical social worker. Uh, we both work at Westside Family Health Center, which is a community health center uh, here in Culver City. Um, please, Sarah, introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, I mean, your background and what got you into mental health. Sure. Um, first, I just want to say I'm happy to be here. It's an honor. So uh, thank you for sharing the space and the invitation to be here. Um, so as Jared said, I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, I've been doing this work. Uh, I graduated year 2013. So I've been doing this work for a while. Um, where do I start? I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, like, I guess in a very general sense, I could talk about what may be interested in this field. And, yeah. and um, I've always been uh, interested in the helping profession. And um, I would say that, you know, I, I think I have a lot of firsthand experience or uh, in being able to like, just see how, you know, socioeconomic um, like factors like play a role in, you know, the trajectory of people's lives and uh, whether it's access to resources, um, family relationships, um, or even just like support systems. So um, I, I feel like that has been a lot of driving force in the work that I do. And just, I, I just love operating in like a social justice framework. I have a lot of passion in that. And um, yeah, again, like I know it sounds cliche, but the help, like just helping others has, has been a, has been a very, um, I wouldn't even say a, a very, just a passionate experience for me, yeah. Um, so uh, Sarah uh, identifies as uh, Asian Pacific American um, and uh, Dr. Lipscomb and I were um, given the recent events, you know, uh, earlier episodes we, very much talked about um, uh, violence on black males and just black people in general. And we thought it would be a good idea and, and, and not I mean, other reasons we would love to have Sarah on, but, uh, but to specifically talk about, um, you know, this area, uh, we have some students in our program, you know, who identify and we always like to address when, uh, you know, the mental health of those who identify with those experiencing, um, you know, violence or hate and uh, injustices here in the United States. And, and, and it can be a little tricky sometimes, I think, with the, our Asian population because, uh, or, well, I'll let you dive yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I do identify as Filipino-American and um, I'm sure you hear before, like just 
the Asian culture in general is such a rich tapestry. So it, I, you know, I could only speak for myself and my own experience, but I know there's a lot of things that I can say or, you know, and share that maybe people can relate to. Um, I do want to be transparent and, and share that for my own mental health, like, and this is not a, a fact that I'm, I'm very proud of, but I, I have, I do stay away or, yeah, I just I stay away from news coverage because I, for my own mental like health and well being, it can be very oh, yeah. triggering for me, you know, and um, and I kind of keep it at a distance. And so when I heard about what happened, uh, like I, I, um, it it was heartbreaking to hear, and given especially just just the heightened. Uh, heightened tensions and, 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 and climate right now, um, it was very triggering. And uh, when I actually looked into the story, it, um, it, it just hit home for me, you know? And, and there, you know, there is a long standing violence against Asians and it may not gain, um, a, you know, popular media, but, um, there, this is not an isolated incident. Mm -hmm. And especially how the media portrays it can be very triggering as well. Like the targets were Asian women and it was very sexualized in nature. And um, that in itself can be, that has a lot of layers to it. A lot of layers to it. Um, yeah, and, and, and I, I, I want to be also transparent too in terms of like being able to talk about it is really challenging for me because um, I, I think there's there's a concern about, you know, um, being honest about my experience, like being honest about my experience and being, uh, there's, a, it, it's just, it, it's really hard to find the words. I'm sorry, no, <laughs> you know? No, no. Yeah. No, I think, I think it, it's, it's perfectly fine. No apologies necessary. I think Sarah, what what you're what you're speaking to and what you are demonstrating is how emotionally harmful and hurtful this is. And to have to talk about it, to have to see it and hear about it is is a lot. And I think given what has happened during this past year with the anti-Asian hate um, that has increased since the, the pandemic here in the States. Folks who are not of the Asian, Asian American Pacific Islander population, when they don't see things or hear things like this, they think, oh, it's not happening or, oh, um, um, this this is not happening in my city or my town or whatever. Uh -huh. And and with it, what what folks need to realize and take heed is that it is happening. It's uh -huh. happening all around. And I think for me, as someone who is uh, black, is knowing the experiences of hate and hatred and microaggressions <sighs> and, and stereotypes. It's being really frustrated and annoyed and uh, wanting to get folks to show up better for for Asian, Asian American Pacific Islander folks in our society so that 
those who are being targeted and harassed don't have to carry that to have to teach and educate and talk about it you know what i mean like that's that heaviness uh that's important to 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 uplift absolutely yeah sorry and i and just to jump in real quick i I appreciate you uh being raw and um and transparent because it you're a mental health provider um and we're it affects you too you know, and so I think it, it helps uh, people see uh, how normal it is to be affected by this and that it's not easy to talk about it, that, and, you know, especially for us who practice this. And so uh, even more reason for them to seek out you know, someone to help. Yeah, and even this process is, is a bit, you know, um, just this process in itself, I'm very grateful for because you know, there. You know, in talking about the Asian experience, um, we have a long history of feeling invisible, and so you know, here's a space or even an incident in which we are prompted to use our voices, which is something that we don't like. This is a very general, but we're not used to, or we're not exactly. Um, you know, that that isn't our primary like way to. It just—it it, isn't—I—I I would, you know, it's it just not something that was modeled to us. I think, in a very general sense, and um, <clears throat> and and it's—it's it's very empowering. It's heartbreaking. Um, it's also very like, or even just like you're confronted with a lot of shame too for not using your voice before. So it's—it's—it's, it's, it's, if I may say, it's—it's it, a—it's shitty. It—it really—it it hurts. That part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's complicated. I think one thing that you're touching on that I want people to really receive and hear is when we say to folks, right, when uh, for those of us who are not of the group and we say things like, you should speak up more, you should say something, you should advocate, yes. you should, I want to empower you. Like that, that's, that's the opposite family of doing what, you know, what they're trying to promote because they're not really understanding culturally what this is. For, for you, for example, or for other folks who uh, may identify the same or have same cultural upbringings where we don't make a fuss. We don't, you know, cause attention to our group or whatever it may be, et cetera. Yeah, and, you know, it we internalize a lot from that. And we're even like navigating like white spaces um, where, you know, like individuality and independence and like using your voice is, is such like a, a sense of um, power and privilege, you know? And, and um, f- for us to adjust to that, assimilate to that, it, it's still very full. I mean, at least, you know, it was very foreign to me. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's that, you know, that mentality of feeling that otherness or that outsiderness, um, feeling like you don't belong, like, you know, those kind of themes. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, in regards to generalization, we, we understand. I mean, you're talking to two black males. So I think it happens a lot for us as well. Um, and um, to touch on that piece that you're talking about, I think, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what's similar for us is like there's that pass and then until, you know, then like they want to point out that you're different and it's really hard to kind of 
balance that sometimes. Um, so when you're like, don't speak up, don't draw attention to yourself, uh, it, you know, it very much happens. And I think the black space as well. Um, and for some, or like for me, particularly for a long time, it was just like, yeah, don't, don't stick out unnecessarily because you already stick out. Um, mm -hmm. They don't call it token for no reason, you know, um, very much. So. Yeah, and I think also a way to empower ourselves is, you know, there's, I think there's also, I, I want to push back and I want to say there's a lot of strength in silence too and being present, you know, like, I, I feel like there's a, 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 a balance to be explored. And, um, and I feel like just, I don't know, reframing it in a way that empower ourselves, like, I, I think there's a lot to that. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I try to tell my students is that you can show up differently when we think about activism and when we think about advocacy. It's not always the ones who are out marching, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's other ways in which we can show up and, and, and use our voices and use our privilege intersectionally speaking based on who we are as well. And I think that's something they begin to learn. They don't mm -hmm. always see that, the equivalent of that. But I think what you're touching on reminds me of how that's equally important to the folks who are out on the streets protesting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be in our, in our just exchanges, you know, interpersonally, just to better understand each other. Yeah, like we're doing here. Right. right. That that's one of the things we try to ensure with this platform on on this podcast is that we are allowing folks to share narratives of mm -hmm. what it means to engage in mental health, what it means to be a person of color, etc. So, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sarah and I, uh, now working together, have had this conversation and how we want to uh, provide. Uh, therapeutic space for patients, um, mostly lower income patients and people of color. Um, so not, not, not to, you know, jump too far from what we were talking about, but um, can you talk a little bit about, Sarah, about your, who, the population that you, you, you worked with prior um, and, um, and who you're mostly working with now? Okay. Um, uh, after graduate school, I mostly worked uh, in doing wraparound services, um, working with um, uh, youth and families involved in the juvenile justice system, as well as in the foster care system. Um, thereafter, I transitioned to a federally qualified health center, but my services were based at the school. So I was working a lot with um, school-based youth in uh, primarily junior high and high school. And then um, from there, I transitioned to a federal call. Uh, from there, I transferred to a, a, an outpatient setting, but still in, in, um, as part of the clinic, in which we got a lot of referrals from primary care physicians. Um, and my, the, the age group we worked with ranged from um, basically five and up. And, um, and now here uh, at Deaf QHC over in Westside, Family Health Center, um, it's primarily same work, but working with adults only. 
And have you found, because um, I, I mean, <clears throat> I know that you worked up in San Jose uh, or mm-hmm. beforehand. I just know demographics are, ch- <laughs> are a little different down yeah. here. Um, have you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. um, so I'm not familiar. I don't know how, how, how many of our listeners, you know, where a lot of how familiar they are with the Bay Area, but um, how, how, what's the difference that you've noticed in the, the uh, population working with in a different FUHC? Um, well, working in San Jose, there is a huge, uh, huge Latino and Vietnamese population. I would say primarily Mexican and Vietnamese. And um, uh, that was interesting because uh, not a lot of Asians are involved in the juvenile justice foster care system. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to that uh, statistic too. Um, But in working, I would say in working with young Asian females, it was very, (laughs) it it was very like, uh, it brought a lot of things to the surface for me. And um, whether it's how we're socialized, how, um, what things we internalize, uh, family dynamics we cope with, mental illness in general, and how that's even addressed or not at all, or even talked about. Um, A lot of fears, anxiety, depression, so uh, I think that brought a lot of personal stuff up for me. Uh, I would say working with young Asian females and, and you know, the pressure to, um, well, a lot, I think a lot of youth in general had this pressure to succeed academically, um, but also just, um, you know, how we're perceived or, you know, um, our expectations or even just speaking up and how anxiety people game that is like it, it, it was, it was, it was quite an experience. How have you <clears throat> navigated just like your own work and your own journey in, in doing clinical work and mental health work? Like what are some things that you do to help you kind of traverse this, this career path? Mm. Um, I think, I I think acknowledging, uh, I I, I did have a, cause being a young Asian female, I, there, there's a lot of surface stuff. I think that patients, you know, at least I, I think that when they first see me, they have their assumptions about me. And, um, and whether it's, you know, I look too young or, you know, I'm, you know, timid, quiet, or, you know, um, they just assume a lot about my background or they, or they just even, they even say it. I'm not really just assuming they even just say, uh, comments about my mannerisms or, or, or how I present. And, um, and that led me, some of the things that were said to me, and it's not even just patients, it's also colleagues, you know, about, um, Oh, like you look so young or, you know, just they asked me about my experience or um, uh, they, they find my, they feel uncomfortable with my silence. They call me out for being silent and, you know, I, and um, I think that says more about them than myself, (laughs) you know, Um, but uh, I think that in encountering like say, things that come up for the surface for me, um, 
I think being honest with how I feel in the moment, it, I, I, in my own therapy too, like, I feel like my, uh, like working with my own, on my own mental health was so, uh, so conducive to the, the therapist that I am today. And that's kind of like being, it, it's so interesting because I don't know, you know, being part of this field, we're told like, oh, you got to check your emotions at the door. You, you know, like, it's not about you, but it, it would be inhumane for me to not like acknowledge the fact that, you know, there's, there's something happening when I work with patients. And, um, and of course it's not about me, but to be honest with myself about what comes up and finding an outlet, outlet, whether it's a supportive colleague, your own therapist, or even just writing about it, talking about it and, and owning it and processing it, you know, as part of supervision and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's important, being able to process it, being able to be honest with ourselves too, because sometimes we tell ourselves a narrative mm -hmm. about ourselves that can deny ourselves other experiences that we are having. Mm -hmm. And so in order to continue to do this work, I, I think it is important that we're able to have that heart to heart and, and look at ourselves and say, hey, I'm not feeling well, or yo, something just came up and I need to really unpack that uh, in order to be effective in the work that I'm doing. Yeah, and I think a huge piece of that work is, you know, is, is practicing self-compassion. I feel like self-compassion goes such a long way to give yourself permission to feel, practice your own curiosity with it as, as you do with your own patients, you know? And it's, you know, like, I remember one patient said, she's like, you see a therapist? I'm like, yeah, like, well, wouldn't you just do for me, do for you what you do for me? <laughs> you know, like, that's not how it works, you know? Like, I mean, um, I wouldn't, if I didn't, I, I wouldn't really do this work if I didn't really believe in it. I love that. I wouldn't do this work if I didn't believe in it. Because I think it's such an experiential thing. Mm-hmm. Like you read on text, like, oh, um, oh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, the idea of thinking more positive, that makes sense. That's just obvious. Or, or if you think like mindfulness, focusing on the here and now, and, and you, could, you could educate people uh, on like how those interventions or coping skills work, but it, you, you bring a different level of sincerity and authenticity when you believe in it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and then they engage and then they like, or they see like, oh, you, you know, you know what I'm dealing with, or, you know, they relate to you. Um, and I, I, this is kind of off top, it's related, but humor is a big, big like tool that I use. And, um, and I feel like that deescalates like the tension uh, this, or like, or their own, um, perceptions about what mental health is mm. you know because it, it's still heavily stigmatized and I feel like the strength that I bring in my work is destigmatizing it yeah absolutely but particularly with the, the demographics that we work with um, I, <clears throat> I always share that I, I've been in therapy for a long time too just to uh, imply that, that I believe in it um, and that it works Yeah, it's a journey, but it <laughs> but it helps, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Where do you feel like, Sarah, um, given everything that's been going on this past year, the pandemic, the racial injustices, all this stuff, what, what do you think is coming next as far as for us as mental health professionals? Like, how are we to address the things that are happening? What are some things that we can begin to do, consider, et cetera, in order to address what we're at the beginning of? I think we're really at the beginning of the ramifications of everything that we have seen over the past year. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, this is so cliche, but, uh, and I, I remember hearing it young in my career and, and just like almost tired of hearing it, but then actually getting it when it happened is, is self-care. And, um, and I, I feel like self-care is, is routine, not, not isolated singular incidents and like, oh yeah, spend time with your friends. Oh yeah. Uh, do something you enjoy, uh, go on a trip. Like it's, it's, it's work. It's integrated into your schedule and your routine. Um, and also uh, something that I love that I heard is that self-care is also being taken care of, you know, and it, it's not just um, you doing your own thing. It's, it's reaching out. It's, it's letting people know you need help. It's, it's having discussions. It's having, it's decompressing. It's checking in. Mm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I remember now I'm going to sound cliche. <laughs> I remember <laughs> back in the Disney, Oprah, now I'm really dating myself, Oprah show. Um, she used to have back in like the 90s, the late 90s or whatever. It was um, she used to have this segment where it would be towards the end of her episode, remembering your spirit. Uh huh. And I used to love that. Like I used to dig that. I was like, oh, that's dope. Like to remember like who you are in essence and your spirit, your inner being. Yeah. And as I was listening to you, I was thinking about, I think that's also what we're having to do, not only to address <clears throat> where we are as a society and do some reckoning around what we're seeing and how to address that, but all the healing that needs to take place and remembering who we are internally, but mm -hmm. also recognizing who we are in our experiences externally based on who we are intersectionally speaking to. Yeah, yeah. Some deep stuff, right? <laughs> some mm -hmm. deep stuff we, 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 we gotta do as we move forward to do some radical, some radical healing, uh -huh. having some radical conversations, reimagining what collective healing and collective care looks like. Something you were talking about with self-care is also caring for us, caring for the individual in addition to caring for ourselves. I think we can't give something that we haven't received ourselves. And uh -huh. so that becomes important too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I feel like there's, there's, I just remind ourselves there's no right or wrong way to go about this, you know, and I feel like if you come about it honestly, from how you feel in your spirit, um, I think that's, that's revolutionary, you know? That part. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think having conversations like we're having today about who people are 
what are our struggles? What are our successes? What are our moments of connectivity? What connects us? I think is also how we begin to move forward in this next kind of chapter that we've entered with the pandemic and everything else that's coming along with it. Yeah, yeah. That's the hope, right? It is. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the hope and uh, I think that's the destination, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is it, to try to get to that space and place and to always be okay with evolving and growing. Yeah, yeah. Like being okay with change. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, being okay and facilitating change ourselves. You know. Yeah, I tell my students we are always arriving. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, we we have a destination in mind, but even when we get there, we're still evolving. We're always arriving at a certain point, idea, understanding. Um, just to show up better because we are always changing. We are yeah. always changing. Yeah, I mean, I think we always envision, uh, you know, where we want to be as this point B, like, right? It's just um, as if it's like, oh, we'll be ready once we get there or like, uh, but again, it's like that evolving journey, that constantly arriving concept of, even that point B always changes, you know, or it may not, you know, like it just, it just, it constantly evolves. What would you say, Sarah, to our listeners who hear themselves and what you have shared with us today? What, what would you say to them, those who may identify as you may resonate with some of your experiences professionally and personally, what might be some advice or tips you may, you may say to them? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, I think drawing back to that self-compassion piece is, is pretty central about, um, you know, I think we question if we're doing the right thing, saying the right thing, if we're showing up. And I feel like once we begin to nurture ourselves, it will speak to, um, kind of our path or that's, you know, that spirit that, you know, that, that we are enough. And, um, and if, and exploring things, uh, feel free to explore what's, it's okay to experiment with like different things that you want to try out. And that's including like participating in such spaces like this or uh, finding um, specific groups um, that, and they do exist, like uh, that, that with missions that resonate with you, whether it's like social justice, mental health, um, just creating a collective healing space, um, finding that for yourself. Um, I think, you know, personally, uh, this is just a person, I think writing is huge. I feel like, you know, if there is a lot of like self-doubt or um, a lot of questions you have, and I feel like writing is such a uninhibited, like safe space to explore that. And um, I, I feel like writing just what your thoughts and feelings, I think practices a lot of having that outlet and, and, you know, if you, if you haven't, if you haven't 
found your voice yet, it doesn't mean that you won't, you know, and, and just trusting the process and, and practicing with what you feel comfortable with. Because it's all about you feeling safe, you know, to do so. That part. Yeah. Um, can you share a, a, a little bit about the evolution of your style? Mm -hmm. um, so it also depends, like in the beginning of our careers, I don't know if you could relate to this, but um, it was very like outside agendas, right? Especially in the nonprofit field where you kind of were told like whether they need to adhere to court mandates or um, they needed to uh, do good in school. Like it, it was, it was a lot of like problem solving and a lot of uh, um, introduction to tools about like how they needed to, you know, for lack of better words, like just like, act right you know like you know like you just follow the follow what they needed to do and I feel like that's kind of a, a common like beginning role that you take on as a as a social worker and then a, as you grow in your career you explore opportunities outside of that because it's just it's so limiting and and it's it's also probably doesn't you know I would imagine doesn't really resonate with a lot of people and their purpose um, but, you know, maybe, I mean, to each their own, of course. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I started doing a lot more, um, being more present, I think made a huge difference in my work and not having anybody like anybody's agenda or, um, being the focus of treatment. Um, I think that was very liberating. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I think what we talked about this yesterday <laughs> in our, our check-in um, is very much like to show up and just listen. I think more often than not, people just need to be heard. And that's almost like 80% of the work is just shut up and listen and just like take it in, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I also feel like like leaning into that discomfort is huge too because you know our we instinctively want to get rid of negative emotions like uh, right. like I shouldn't feel guilty or I shouldn't worry or I shouldn't care um, and then get having a space where you're given permission to care not only you know for yourself and and practice self-validation uh, I, I think that makes a huge difference Yeah, self-validation is everything. And, and, and getting to that point where you can self-validate and not should on yourself, you know, with uh -huh. all the things that we should do, shouldn't do, et cetera. Um, random question here. Um, take your time, but what, what do you hope to be able to bring to this new role at this clinic. Um, because um, 
it, you know, for those who don't know, like we, we're kind of developing uh, our behavioral health, our mental health department. And so um, I think there's a lot of freedom in being able to bring a new model to people who are, are generally underserved. Um, so it kind of gives us an opportunity to, to come from an anti-colonial <laughs> ah. <laughs> and yeah. I know you like that so uh, <laughs> yeah I just wanted to know what, what what is it that you want to bring to to that space oh such a good question that's such a big question um I, I feel like we've talked about like making our services available like whether it's a dsm-5 diagnosis or not you know um, and I think I, I'm just, I really enjoy working in the healthcare field in general because it's such a gateway, you know, to destigmatizing mental health and, and making it, um, uh, making support available to, to patients who, who, who probably wouldn't consider it otherwise. And I, I think it's also a great opportunity to explore the connection between mental health and physical health. Cause that's, I mean, there's just no doubt, like, <laughs> you know, like, um, and, and being able to have those conversations um, or even just having like psychoeducational groups about, or even with our providers, you know, like uh, things that they can say during their sessions with patients, just kind of planting those seeds. Um, yeah, uh, increasing access mind and body, um, and, uh, and it's, it's a really exciting role to be in. And it's also, you know, just overwhelming to think about, but, you know, <laughs> um, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, um, what I really appreciate you coming on today is a really interesting conversation. Yes. Um, I, I appreciate your vulnerability um, and, and transparency. Um, and I think it's really important for listeners uh, because some are practitioners and others aren't. Some are students hoping to eventually become clinicians. And uh, But I think it's just important overall for them to hear somebody that's been practicing licensed um, can still very much be affected by what's going on around them um, and to hear their journey as well to where they are now. Yes, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Um, thank you for this opportunity to be on here and you know, sharing this space. Thank you. Yeah, any, uh, any plugs that you have that you want to share? Um, I think you said no social media for you, right? So there's no, no, that's no handles. I, that's, a, that's an honest, that's an honest coping, uh, you know, avoid, like it's, <laughs> that's a, that's a coping skill, but, um, uh, like it's, it's, yeah, I, again, you no, know, like just giving ourselves permission and creating our own space and, and what we can manage and, um, you know, and, and yeah it's no handles, but, um, I do have a quote that I like to share. Um, <laughs> um, uh, it's about, uh, it's from a, a Fili Filipino artist. Her name is Anina Magsaysay Ho. And, um, she was talking about Filipino women. And I, I, I really enjoy this quote. 
And I think it just speaks, you know, to, to people who are struggling to find that voice, um, you know, uh, that's a that can be a choice and, and there's a lot of strength in that. So this quote says, in my works, I always celebrate the women of the Philippines. I regard them with deep admiration and they continue to inspire me, their movements and gestures, their expressions of happiness and frustration, their diligence and shortcomings, their joy of living. I know very well the strength, hard work, and quiet dignity of Philippine women, for after all, I am one of them. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yes, yeah. that's a great note to end on. And thank you to our listeners, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Chill Spot Radio. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on our webpage at chillspotradio.com.